Today's scripture reading is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm usually up here, but we've got a new face up here. And I want to introduce uh, our church family to Josh Drury. His wife, Sarah, is probably in the back. Maybe they're putting or getting Riley settled in uh, Christ City Kids. But uh, Josh has become a great friend. You guys came in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a student out at Regent, but I've just so appreciated this brother. Um, he, from the moment we just met, there's been a mutual ministry of encouragement. And Josh brought a word to our men's breakfast a few weeks ago, and every man in that room was just encouraged and challenged. And I said, Josh, you've got to bring that for our folks here at Christ City Kit. So that's what he's doing. And uh, I'm so thankful you're here, brother. And uh, may the Lord give you grace to bring to our hearts a, a word of truth and encouragement. So, Thanks. Well, no pressure. <laughs> um, but I'm thankful to be here and humbled. Um, let's pray together before we dive into... Uh, we're going to go through... Kind of the flow of the morning is going to be just a story... I'm going to tell you a bit of our story, a bit of our story in the past, a bit of our story in the present, and what Sarah and I have been walking through. And then after that, we're going to look at the text that we just read, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. Uh, And then we're going to look at some application at the end. Pretty simple. Um, But let's pray. I'd invite you, pray for yourselves, pray for me, um, that the Lord would be here and, and just say what he wants to say. It could be nothing that I say. It could be something that he just puts on your heart while we're talking. And so I pray you're open to that and, um, and that he just moves. So let's pray together. Lord, you say to let steadfast love and faithfulness be bound to our hearts right before our passage today. I pray that we would do that, that, that steadfast love and faithfulness would be bound to our hearts. Uh, that you would speak, you would move, that you would get me out of the way, even our story out of the way, uh, and that you would just minister to all of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to be talking about vertigo. Uh, at the men's breakfast, someone said, the movie? I was like, no, not the movie. Um, spiritual vertigo is what I'm going to be talking about. Now, some of you may have experienced physical vertigo in the world. I, I personally haven't, so I actually don't even feel like I have much room to talk about that specifically. I mean, it's basically just the condition that your head's spinning or that the world is spinning. It's completely disorienting. It's um, totally just, it, it makes you just fall to your knees. I was going to have a coffee with a professor this spring, and he actually emailed me in the morning saying, hey, I've got vertigo. I'm really sorry. I can't come. I've got to go to the doctor. And so he would understand what I'm talking about more than I do. But the point is that it's your head is spinning. 
it's, a, it, it's almost like a loss of gravity is the way I imagine it. And spiritual vertigo is very, very similar. And the reason I'm talking about it was Sarah and I were at a prayer retreat a couple months ago for one of my classes at Regent. And we were walking through the different stories of Mary and Martha and their interactions with Jesus. So you probably know some of them. There's the really popular one where Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, right? And Martha's busy making sure the party's awesome. And there's the Martha, Martha. There's one thing that's important, you know, that lecture. And we use that to make all of our moms feel bad every now and then. Um, but that, that's one of the passages, right? The, that's not what we're going to talk about. There's also the passage where Mary is kneeling at Jesus' feet and anointing his feet before his crucifixion. We're not going to talk about that. The one we're going to talk about is, if you remember, there's a man named Lazarus who was a friend of Mary and Martha who died. And he was resurrected. And right before he's resurrected, there's an interaction between Jesus and Martha and Mary. See, Jesus was a ways away, doing his own thing, doing his ministry, when uh, he receives word that Lazarus was sick. And interestingly, he doesn't run over there. And I'm not really going to focus on this, but just to know, he doesn't run over there saying, you know, be healed immediately. He doesn't do what he did with the centurion and heal from afar. He just stays where he was for a couple days. And, um, and so then he finally goes back. And while he's going back, before he enters the town, Martha comes out to him. And there's an interaction between them that we might mention later. Uh, not sure if we'll get there. And then after that, he calls for Mary. And he says, uh, Mary, come out here. And so she comes. Martha goes and gets her. Um, he tells Martha to go get her. He doesn't tell Mary to come from, like, miles away. That'd be crazy. Um, but he, uh, he t- calls Mary. Mary comes out, and she runs. And what does she do? She falls at his feet. Her friend is dead. She's disoriented. She doesn't know what to do. She knows that if Christ was there, she tells him, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. So she falls at his feet. And that, when I was studying that, when I was praying through that, uh, through a series of questions at the retreat, it just hit me, man, this is spiritual vertigo. And I knew that because I was starting to walk through it. And so I'm going to start by telling you a bit of our story. Um, Sarah and I met in university in 2011. I fell in love in 24 hours. She fell in love in five years. Um, <laughs> No. Uh, so we got married a few years later after dating on and off. And we had the, kind of this plan. You know, you get married, you have the plan. And my plan was we're going to both work. We're going to save up money. You know, we're going to go on like a two-month trip to Europe. We're going to like do all these cool things. And what happens three months in? We get pregnant. It's like, ah, plan explodes. And it's a good thing to have children. I, we were excited, but the first couple of days, you know, you have kind of that, all right, disorienting. I've got to, I've got to gather myself and, and, and redo our plans, rework our plans here. And so we get pregnant with our first child, who's Riley. She's here this morning uh, in child care. And, and so we start getting ready. We start getting excited to have Riley. And so we go to the first ultrasound, you know, you see that thing there that it kind of looks like a baby, but it's kind of really early. And, and you see the heartbeat and that's like really exciting. And then we, we go and we wait until the second ultrasound, and that's where you learn the gender. And we walk in there, and the, the tech is doing her measurements, and she makes this comment. She goes, I, I'm seeing a, a legion on the child's back. Sarah's a nurse, 
And she immediately goes, do you mean spina bifida? And I just sat down. Um, it just totally rocked my world. That was spiritual vertigo. Some of you can relate with that sensation where it's just like all your energy, all your ability to stand up just goes. Whether it's a diagnosis like that, cancer, a lost job, um, you know, lost home, whatever it is, we all taste that at some point in our lives. And so the doctor came down and, and counseled us. She was a great doctor and, 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 and definitely gave us hope. And, and, and so we, we left, and there was immediately this action plan. And so we go, and we start going to these hospitals in Houston and in Nashville. And, and a few months later, Riley's born. Uh, and within three weeks, she had a back surgery, she had a heart surgery, and she had a brain surgery. And thankfully, within a month, she was out of the hospital complication free never had a single infection in the hospital um, which we we know we were really blessed by Um, and we got to go home and she's been wonderful and you can see her rolling around in her wheelchair this morning Um, she's an answer to prayer she is an answer to prayer Um, we love her as she is i i just took a class on physical and mental disability and so i do feel like i have to say like obviously we love her as she is Obviously, whatever you go through, you're valued as a human, not as your utility to society. And I know that. Um, And so, needless to say, though, that experience left some scars. Um, It left some scars. And so, earlier this year, right when we got back from Christmas break, we went home to Texas for a month, and we got back. Uh, We found out we were expecting our second child. And so... And it was immediately this kind of tension of like, okay, we're excited, but we're nervous. Um, why? Well, it might not be a good analogy, but what I always thought of was it's like walking down a sidewalk and getting hit by a car. You're going to walk down that sidewalk again, and you're probably not ever going to get hit by a car again. But every time you do, you always look back because you remember what happened before. You remember where you were. You remember what was going on. And so this was just, it, it caused us to rehash what was going on. Sarah, the wise one, um, immediately started taking time to process and asking, okay, what if this happens again? What if we have complications again? What if we lose a child? I was in school, and uh, whether I didn't think I needed it or, or didn't, I, I just didn't take the time to do it the way she did. Um, we bought a book by a regent professor on having a terminal child um, that, that wasn't going to live long past birth and, and just started processing through what if this does happen again. And so it came time to have our ultrasound again. We began to get excited again and, and getting ready for this second child to enter the world. And we waited a little longer to have the ultrasound. And what was neat about that was all of a sudden you see the picture and it looks way more like the second one because you start seeing arms and legs moving around and the head and you see the fingers and the, and the toes and it's really exciting. And so the tech's just looking and I'm leaning over and say, look, 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 they're kicking. You know, that for us, that was like a big thing. Like they're kicking. Wow. Okay. Wow. Look at the heartbeat. That's really great. Uh, the tech leaves the room. She says, hey, I just got to go check with the doctor. I'm going to come back, uh, and then you guys can go. We said, great. Leaves the room. Sarah and I are just sitting there. Tech comes back in a few minutes later, a few minutes later and says, the doctor wants to see you. 
but we knew what that meant. So we walk down the hallway, see the doctor, and it was real fast. Um, he basically says, hey, there's this enlarged section on, on your child's neck that's often an indicator of uh, some kind of a chromosomal issue, like Downs or something, and you just need to, to do some follow-up testing at Children's to see what's going on. We said, okay. And so um, we left. Uh, you go home, and you search the Internet, and you figure out. It could be something, or it could be nothing, and what do we do with that? And so we wait about, I think it was a week, and uh, went back to BC Children's, had a follow-up ultrasound, and uh, while we were there, uh, basically they, they were looking, and, and we didn't get a ton of feedback in the meeting other than the cardiologist said, we think there might be a heart defect going on, which is something that Riley had, and it wasn't, um, that wasn't, really flooring at the, at the moment, but then we had a, a meeting with the geneticist, and we go upstairs, and he, he's got the ultrasound report, and he says, look, you, you just need to know that there, there's a huge issue here, and, and the only thing that we can really see that's a big problem is that, you know, the head is, is normal. It's like the 30th percentile, which is fine, uh, but this, the abdomen is less than one percentile on growth, um, and that's usually a sign of, of things not going well, and that this, this pregnancy isn't going to last long. So you need to get ready. Um, you need to get ready to probably lose him. So, thankfully, he was a Christian. <laughs> he prayed with us, um, encouraged us, and we went home. And, and to be honest, this experience was really different from the get-go because with Riley, it was like, okay, you're diagnosed, but there's immediately a plan. She never presented with any symptoms that said that she wasn't going to live. And so that just wasn't something we, I really took the time to wrestle through because it never seemed like a probability. Instead, it was you go home, find the action plan, see the doctors, get the plan, wait till she's born, execute the plan, and you're good. And, and now she's obviously a beautiful child. With this one, the difference was death and sitting under the probability of death. Um, some people are skeptical of doctors. I'm the one, I'm, I'm the kind that tends to trust what they say. And so that sat really heavy with me. And we were talking the other day. Um, it just made us really unable to commit ourselves emotionally um, to, to what might be, because we don't know if that's what will be. Um, and so we wait a few weeks to see what happens. And, and, we, and we go in for this, to go in for this amniocentesis. That's where they take out amniotic fluid uh, to do some chromosome tests and to see the health of the baby uh, and, and, to, and to get an exact read on what's going on because they really thought it was a chromosomal issue that was causing this. Uh, but they, they weren't sure. So the day before, I'm actually in Edmonton on a work trip about to fly back, and Sarah calls me saying she got a call from the geneticist saying, hey, some blood work came back beforehand. I've been flagged for this risk factor. Here's what that risk factor is. But the guy said, honestly, 50% of the time, this just means there's been fetal demise. 30% of the time, this just means there's a chromosomal abnormality. And like 15%, it's this actual thing. And so like right before I got on the plane, I get this phone call, which I was thankful because it, it gave me two hours longer to process through it before I came home. And uh, yeah, we were told to prepare that when we go in for our amnio, there might not be a heartbeat. You might have already lost your child. Uh, unfortunately, I got a stomach bug. Had to wait a week to do the test. Uh, so the next week, we went for the amnio, walking in very ready and expecting to, to just see our child had passed. 
Um, they pulled up the image. Lo and behold, what did we see? A heartbeat. That was really encouraging. Um, death was batting 0 for 1, if you're a baseball fan. Um, I started actually laughing in the room because I, I was like, listen, we were told this our child was going to be gone. Like, so I, sorry, I just have to laugh. Um, so we complete the test, and we go home with a little more hope. That didn't give us any diagnostic news, but it just gave us hope. A few days later, I walk home, and Sarah's got a bunch of cupcakes, and um, she says, hey, I, uh, we got a call from, with the results of the test, and we also got a call with the gender because they know the gender whenever they do that. I said, great, well, what's going on? And so we ate cupcakes and found out that it was a girl, which we were very excited about. Um, and then she said, you know, the first four chromosomal tests have come back normal, actually. And so no Downs, no trisomy, no Turner syndrome, uh, and the gender uh, was fine. And so um, we were like, wow, okay, that's, that's hopeful. Death's batting over two because they really thought it was trisomy. Um, so that's where the men's breakfast story ended. Um, I got to go on a trip. It was awesome. Came back, um, and really, we were just waiting until we went in for the next ultrasound. And so we go in. I think it was two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, and um, for a detailed checkup of the heart because they had flagged that before, and and then for another geneticist appointment. And the heart looked actually looked fine. They they said, you know, hey, we thought we saw something, but really, there's nothing here. Like the heart's fine. This is great. There's no hole in it. You know, you need to follow up in like I don't know, ten weeks, and, and get one more look at it. We said, okay, great. Uh, and they say, you know, the brain, everything else, there's a few things that are kind of borderline, but really there's nothing of concern here except the fact that they're really small. Okay, great. Um, so I kind of walk out of there like, yeah, it's a good day, good day. Uh, and um, we go upstairs to the geneticist, and we're meeting with him. Some of you guys are like, man, you're playing with us emotionally, and we know what's going to happen next, but follow me along here. Uh, we go up to the geneticist, and uh, and he says, hey, your risk factor came back negative. There's not this odd whatever it was. I can't remember the name. Um, and and really, I, he said, I don't have the ultrasound results yet, even though you just left it. So I don't have much to say there. And I think, you know, we just need to watch and wait and see how this progresses. And so there was another test that they had done with the amnio that we had never gotten the results back from. And so I asked him, I said, hey, did you, did you get the test from the microarray, which is just a really, really detailed look at chromosomes. And... Um, and he goes, I thought I had that. I thought, and so he starts rifling through and says, they haven't delivered that. Okay, I'll go call him. So he leaves the room and comes back in and says, well, unfortunately, we do have some bad news. They haven't gotten me the report yet, back yet because Jamie, which is what we named her, has this rare-ish condition um, where one of her chromosomes, the data is, without getting into science, the data is missing from that chromosome. Some of it has relocated on top of another one. Some of it's just not there. Um, this, he explained, is why she's so small. Now we know what's going on. We don't do any, need to do any more testing to figure out what's causing it. Um, but he said, because this is the way it is and because it's unbalanced, it's, you need to know that normally this doesn't end well still. So your, diet, your prognosis has not changed. Um, he said, you know, whether or not she will survive the pregnancy, we don't know. Whether or not she is born and lives for a while or a very short time, we don't know, probably not very long. But you need to be ready. Um, 
because we're probably going to recommend uh, palliative care, hospice care, before she's even born. Um, so we said, okay. And that is where we are now. We know more, but at the same time, we feel like we don't know a lot, which is a really weird place to sit. Um, it's a really p- weird place to sit. So we have been learning to wait and to treasure the moments. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is just through that. I want to go back through, and, and we're going to talk about some st- one specific struggle in that season and then some encouragements. And, and the one big struggle was with my prayer life, uh, which some of you can understand. Uh, because as believers, I mean, we have the Lord's Prayer. We believe God's awesome and sovereign and, and has this plan. And so on one hand, you're praying, God, let your will be done. You know, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But at the same time, we know we have this biblical precedent that says, yeah, but you can ask. <laughs> and you can ask for him to do big things. You can ask for him to intervene. And so I kind of felt torn between these two because like, ah, your kingdom come, your will be done, but ah, what if that's not what I want? What if that's not what I want? And honestly, some of the struggle was also because Riley was never miraculously healed because she went her whole pregnancy and now is four almost and still has spina bifida and we love her as she is, but there's still that reality that, that miraculous healing never happened There were other answers to prayer. She never had complications. The doctors made great decisions. We see that God has blessed her so much. Um, But it was still discouraging to sit under that. And so my prayer went from either of those things to just, Lord, have mercy. God, have mercy. And it was honestly, if you're going to take her, please do it faster than later. Because I don't want to, I don't want to sit through this anymore. I don't want to go through that afterbirth. Um, or if you're going to heal her, please do it quickly, because I don't know how long I can sit here. After that amnio happened and we saw this, the heartbeat, and we we originally had some good news, hope did start to return, and, and and even through some more bad news, it's remained. I think that's just a grace of God, and um, where I do feel okay praying now. <laughs> more boldly, but it's hard. It was hard. It, I don't know why, but for some reason, it's just a little easier now. Uh, a big hope I got in this season, so we named her Jamie. And after naming her, one of the big hopes I got was Jamie is the feminine Greek form of Jacob, which means to supplant. And just remembering that in Christ, death is supplanted. It's not meaningless. It's not hopeless. It's not final. It hasn't won. It's been beaten. And that's given me a lot of hope. So, obviously that's our experience. There's a lot of people in here who have different experiences, different struggles, so ours isn't necessarily normative, and I know that. It doesn't mean that, oh, this is how it happens to everybody whenever you're struggling through these things. But this is probably jogging your memory. A bad diagnosis, Alzheimer's, cancer, getting fired, um, any number of things that can create spiritual vertigo. 
So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? Well, I'm going to talk about a couple of big encouragements. And one of the first big encouragements that I received in this season was, it actually came before we got even any good news, and I was in that really, probably the hardest place of the journey, before the amnio. And, and, and we have some friends on campus that have lost a child, and, and so um, I texted him and, and, and went over and, and, and had just a conversation with him for a few, hours, a few hours at his house the night before uh, we thought that we were going to uh, find Jamie was gone. And, and a verse that kept popping in my head, and Sarah had mentioned it at home in other circumstances, uh, was Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Here's what that says. Um, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So this passage is popping into my mind. I, I, I don't really have a lot of thought about it at the time. I'm just kind of going, okay, this keeps popping up in my mind. Secret things belong to the Lord. So I'm sitting with my friend and I said, hey, this has kind of been popping into my mind. What do you think of that? And, he's, and he says, and, and I agree with him. He said, well, he said, the way I interpret that is that the secret things are God's sovereign will. That, that God is, is awesome, has made the world, is huge. And, and he just, there are things going on that we do not understand, that he has not revealed either about himself or about our situation. Uh, and that's okay. But it's extremely disorienting. Uh, because in my mind, I had this image, I said this at the men's breakfast, it's like you're sitting in this huge cavern, almost suspended in it. And you can't see anything else around you. All you can see is where you are. All you have is a flashlight that points to here. And God says, take a step forward. And you're like, can I see first? That's his secret will. Those are the secret things where you want to know desperately. What, what's going on? Why? Why? Can anybody get a why? And he doesn't say why. He didn't tell Job why. Why he lost everything. He doesn't reveal why many of the times. Those are just the secret things. We're asked to walk where we are in faith that he will do what's just and right. He says, you've got to trust me. And that's going to be the big point from today. Spoiler. You've got to trust him. The revealed things, on the other hand, is his word. What he's given to us the things he's spoken to us. It's how to act while we're still living in and among the secret things. And it also shows his attitude towards us, his creation. So the secret things are his hidden will. The revealed things are how do we live in the world. So that leads us to our text today. How are we to live in the world through suffering? How are we to live in the world um, through pain, through joy, through whatever. What does he tell us to do? Well, it's in Proverbs. I'm really not going to take any time to unpack it. There's a Proverbs series coming up. I'm assuming we're going to discuss authorship and anything else in there. So I'm just not going to do that um, because I'm going to trust Pastor to, uh, to handle that later. But basically, uh, just understand that, that this passage, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, it's in a larger one, verses 1 through 12. Um, and it's, in, and that's a, it's a lecture from a father to a son, generally. 
And it's one amongst many lectures all the way through verse 9. You see language all through, not verse 9, uh, chapter 9, where you see language all throughout those first nine chapters of Proverbs. My son, my son, my son. And he's giving bits of wisdom, bits of wisdom for the son to consume, bits of wisdom for us as sons and daughters to consume and to apply. He's seeking to bestow blessing and wisdom to his children. Some of you can relate to this. If you're a parent, uh, or if you have parents, you've been on the receiving end of this. The, my son, keep your hands off the stove and you will not be burned. <laughs> my son, the same goes for the remote. Uh, you know, when we moved here, it wasn't so much a father figure as it was a friend. One of our really good friends at Regent uh, came over and walked Sarah around. And one thing she told her was, all right, you're from Texas. Make sure you sort your trash lest you be judged. <laughs> ah, thank you. So we're trying. We're trying. Uh, So we can relate to this. Proverbs, words of wisdom, how to find blessing in the world, how to walk rightly through the world. Uh, Because to be clear, we all need wisdom. Um, We need those discussions from parents, from mentors, from friends, from books, from sermons, from whatever. Why? Because we don't know. Because we don't know the secret things. And also, we haven't walked with the revealed things as long as others. We haven't walked through the same scenarios as others. And so looking and listening is a huge part of making our way through the world. Um, So our text will actually address it directly, um, looking and listening and finding trust. So we're going to reread Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do you ever have that moment where you're going and then you realize you've gone way longer than you think you would have gone at that point? That just happened. That's okay. So we're going to fly through here, um, and we're going to just unpack this verse by verse. And so, okay, what does this look like for us? So, spoiler alert, again, it's trust. What we're going to see, especially in the first three passages, is God calling us to have entire trust, which we'll talk about that, what that means, exclusive trust, and exhaustive trust. So, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. People have trust issues. Most of us do in some way. Whether from a bad experience, untrustworthy people, or just looking at the wrong thing. We trust in the wrong thing all the time. We trust in our wallets. We trust in investments. Real estate, if you can get it here. Uh, Bad friends or family. Our reputation. Our own giftings. We trust in the wrong things. If there's one thing we need to learn, there's only one person we can trust in. That's God. Unfortunately, I don't have time. I wasn't going to take time anyway to, to unpack in this huge foolproof argument. But just, you need to know that God is trustworthy. You need to know that he's good. You need to know that he's wise and that he's just 
and that we must trust him. But the command isn't just to trust in God. It's to trust in him alone with all your heart. So there's an entire trust there. So what's it saying? It's saying you need to trust him with all your heart. Well, what does trust look like? Well, look at the second half of the verse. Do not lean on your own understanding. One way you can look at trust is leaning. Why do we lean? Because we can't carry our own weight. Because we need something else to hold us up and walk through the seasons of life. So maybe one thing you could say, you know, the Hebrew word here, it really ties to the sense of reliance or dependence. Do not rely on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding. Why? Because we don't know the secret things. We don't know the secret things. We must rely on God. It means putting all your eggs in the basket. It means trusting in him entirely. And from that, you also get the sense, not just of entirely, but if I'm putting my trust in 100% on God here, how much do I have left to put somewhere else? None. So it's an entire trust, but it's also an exclusive trust. Trust in God alone, with all your heart, not on yourself. When the world's crashing in, we are not to look to our education, our interpretation of what's going on, who's in control, or why something has happened. We are to look to and trust in God alone because he's higher, better, wiser, and the most good. He is the most good. And he promises to shepherd us through. So verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This really continues on the thought from before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, that could be in all your paths, in all your journeys, in all your endeavors, in everything you do, acknowledge him. Put your trust in him. That's an exhaustive commitment. An exhaustive commitment. It means everywhere, all the time. This is where my hope is. This is where my hope is. So to summarize those three again, trust God with all you are, all your heart. Trust God alone, not in yourself or anything else. Trust God in everything, all the time, in all circumstances. So we trust him. So we trust him. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is really reminiscent of verse 5. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Those are similar words. What are they? Is there any difference? I think there is a big difference. One, understanding has to be, it, it has to do with perspective. Don't trust that you've got all this figured out. That you know exactly what's going on. But also, don't be wise in your own eyes. That does have a kind of a knowledge, understanding perspective to it, but it also involves being worked out. So don't trust that you know everything. But even if you did, we can still act foolishly. So don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you're just implicitly going to walk in the right direction. To refute the great Qui-Gon Jinn in Star Wars Episode One, he says, think or he says, feel, don't think. Trust your instincts. Wrong. <laughs> don't do that. 
Don't trust your instincts. I mean, to be fair, we have the Holy Spirit now who can guide us, who can direct us, who can lead us. And I totally believe in that. But we also still live in broken fleshly bodies that are going and we in our minds are still centered on ourselves. We still have a, a, a bent to sin. So don't just believe the first thing that comes to your mind every time you're trying to figure out something. Practice discernment. Get in community. Get in the word and decide and seek the Lord's will, the Lord's wisdom. So then we've admitted we have a deficit of wisdom. So we need wisdom. Where do we get it? Psalms and Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Right from this verse. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. To bring this back to my immediate context... For me, turning away from evil meant consciously turning back from bitterness, from conceit, from anger, and from doubt. Each situation is different. You may have really different temptations. Uh, But we've got to know that those aren't good. Sometimes it feels good, like, to be angry and sad. Sometimes you you kind of, like, you get this bitterness built up, and you're like, yeah, like, I just want to sit here. That's not good. Turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Don't believe in the lie that said, says God is not good because he is good. We've got to remember. If there's one thing you, forget, you remember, remember that no matter what happens, our experiences don't determine his goodness. That's got to be rock solid. He is good even when we don't understand. Even when we don't understand. We've got to trust. If, if we're all sitting in an airplane and God's the pilot, turbulence starts happening. I hate turbulence. It's, that's miserable. Um, but, like, turbulence starts happening. You've got to trust that the pilot knows and he's going to get you where you're going. Just because we're on the ship with God doesn't mean we're not going to go through hard times. I, I don't know if we'll talk about that in the Proverbs later, but you've got to be careful on how you look at a proverb and go, oh, well, if I just do A and do B, then happiness and joy are going to happen for the rest of my life. Most of us have figured out that's not the case. Most of us have figured out that Job, Jesus, Peter, Paul, David, Mary, and a whole slew of other people figured out that having faith in God doesn't protect you from suffering. It doesn't. But you've got to trust that he will get you there. That he is good. That his plan is right. That he's just. Sometimes life feels like a fog. You can't see what's going on, and all you can see is his hand going, you've got to trust me. Take his hand and trust him. Lastly, verse 8. I don't think it needs much, much explanation. If we trust in him, fear him, acknowledge him, follow him, turn from evil, it will be healing to your flesh. It will be refreshment to your bones. It will be healing to your flesh. It will be refreshment to your bones. I don't think I need to explain that. I mean, other than that healing is like three dimensions. Yes, it can be physical. I believe that. But when it's not, even when it's not, it's spiritual. It's psychological. How many of you need refreshment for your bones? That word is to drink. How many, how many of you need a drink for your bones? Some water. 
trust him. If I had to summarize this text, it would be that if your mind needs refreshment, if your spirit needs refreshment, and yes, if your bones need refreshment, stop trusting yourself. Stop looking to your own wisdom. Stop using escapism, bad habits, whether that's drinking, video games, television, whatever, shopping. Like it can be anything for a lot of people, but escapism, saying, oh, I'm just going to forget. I'm going to do something so I can forget about it. Enter into it. Trust him. Hold out your hand. Look up and submit yourself to his wisdom, to his plan and his direction. The day I got that call from Sarah, um, right before I got on the plane, is when I, I, I thought of this passage. Um, and I turned to it, and it immediately ministered to my soul. And, and what I did, and um, I just encourage you to, to listen, is I took it, and I turned it into just a, a really a call to myself in just different words. Trust God, my heart. I do not understand. I don't know why. I don't know how. Acknowledge God. Let him make straight. Let him make straight. Let let go of the oar. Let him guide you down the river. I'm not wise. Fear him. Resist bitterness and conceit, anger and doubt. He will heal your flesh when you do and refresh your bones. And my prayer was, God, help me do this. God, help me do this. I think we're out of time. And so there's a number of applications I wanted to go over. Just to say them simply, understand you're not alone. Not that in the sense that you're here in this room with people, but that Christ became a man and entered your suffering. He entered our suffering in this world. And knows what that's like. John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the Bible, right? Everybody jokes about memorizing it. Jesus wept. He knows. You notice that's right before he resurrected Lazarus? He knew what was coming. And yet he saw our suffering and wept with us. He sees your suffering and weeps with you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Second one is to lament well. Take the time to lament well. We stink at this. Oh my gosh. In our Western culture, we're like, I just got to come to church, put on my happy face, hope nobody asks me too many questions. You know, that doesn't mean you have to tell everybody what you're going through, but have a community that you allow to enter in. The next encouragement is lament together. Bring people in. Bring people in. And don't walk that alone. And lastly, ask God for hope. I think I have to be really careful, and I don't think this is the case, but like, I don't ever want somebody to feel like that we're just going to throw eschatology on the top of it to make you feel better and, and not recognize the fact that you are hurting. I don't think that's healthy. But I do think we need hope. And I do think that we can, as we process through our lament, look ahead to our hope. So for a season, I was like, Romans 8, I know it, it's great. Uh, it's not really doing anything right now. Why? Because I was hurting. That's okay to be there. But walk through that in community and ask God for hope. What did Jesus say in Isaiah 61? 
He was to, he, when he announced Isaiah 61, he was coming to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment in praise, of praise instead of a faint spirit. We've got to know that he does want to give you hope. But that may not come today. You can, I encourage you to enter into it in scripture. Lament in scripture. Lament in community. But if you're just like, for some reason, I'm not there today, that's okay. Pray it's there tomorrow. Pray it's there later today. And trust him. Trust him. Trust him. My encouragement to finish is when we're walking through spiritual vertigo, give yourself time to mourn. But do it with a Bible in hand and in a spirit of prayer so God can minister to you and ultimately lead you to trust, to surrender to the life of Christ, his cross and resurrection. And yes, to our ultimate resurrection, to hope for what's to come. That this isn't the end. This isn't without hope. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you here and... and, um, Just thank you for your word and just pray that you would encourage us and minister to us as we follow you in any season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.